Hello, and welcome to The X-Ray. I'm Fernando Espuelas. First, let me explain what we're doing here. There are a lot of great podcasts, and there's some really great political podcasts, but we're doing something different. We're taking a different road. We're taking a fresh look at our political system. Introducing The X-Ray, a new political podcast about political power. Who wants it, who wills it, and why? A penetrating analysis of the biggest issues facing American politics. Interviews with power players, conversations with politicos, experts, and national journalists. And a special segment called X-Ray Vision, a fun exploration of the real person behind the political title. I'm your host, Fernando Espuelas, and I hope you'll join me every week on The X-Ray. For more information, check out thexray.org, and don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. The X-Ray is a project of Issue One. I'm Weston Womp, and this is Swamp Stories, brought to you by Issue One. In the years after the Citizens United decision, it looked like Republicans would be the ones that benefited from the litany of novel ways that billionaires and corporations could now inject unlimited money into our elections. And that seemed to shape the attitude that many in my party have had towards political reform, or at least the leadership in D.C. of my party. The lack of energy among Republicans in Congress to close loopholes and support other reform priorities was more about political convenience than anything. And this has been despite calls from across the country to drain the swamp. A decade ago, Republican strategists took the lead in, let's say, creatively taking advantage of the super PAC era, using 501c4 charitable organizations to hide the identity of donors and creating a cottage industry around running super PACs. But fast forward to 2020. Now the three largest super PACs all support Vice President Biden. In fact, according to new issue one analysis, 71% of super PAC and dark money spending in the 2020 cycle favors Biden, compared to 29% for President Trump. And in 2018, Dark money favored Democrats over Republicans for the first time. The Democrats have clearly caught up in this money race. So this could create an opening for both parties to embrace political reform. It's becoming clear the current system doesn't work better for one party or another. And the system certainly doesn't work for the American people. Now, to the Democrats' credit, they continued to lead in Congress on supporting real legislation that would address the misuse of super PACs and the explosion of illicit dark money in our elections. And this is even as they've taken better advantage of this broken system. They've at least remained consistent that it needs to be fixed. So the question for Republicans is whether we're ready to take on political reform and look at these issues through the principled lens of conservatism instead of a partisan political lens. We've done it before, and the good news is that there's now a new generation of Republican reformers in Congress, including one that you'll hear from today. Because fixing our broken political system is the smart thing to do, and it's the right thing to do. This is episode 15, The Conservative Case for Reform.
from a conservative perspective, I think we don't understand the extent to which dysfunction in Congress enables the growth of the bureaucratic state and the growth of the executive branch and the growth of the power of the presidency. And finding a way to clean up Congress, reform Congress in order to make it more functional and convince members of Congress to do its job, I think is a necessary condition for any hope to reduce the overall size of the federal government, or if nothing else, make the federal government more transparent and accountable to the states and the American people, which I view as a fundamentally conservative thing. Wisconsin's Mike Gallagher is arguably the most outspoken conservative in Congress today on reforming our political system. His perspective is unorthodox among Republicans in Washington. If you go back to the 80s, you'll hear conservatives like Mitch McConnell speaking out against dark money, entertaining constitutional amendments to fix the problem. He even questioned the role of PACs altogether. President George H.W. Bush called for an end to political action committees as well. But by the 90s, Republicans like Tom DeLay had found political advantages in broken campaign finance laws. And that's the point. In my opinion, the opposition of Republicans to reform is not ideological. It's political. Across the country, Republicans and Democrats alike believe that power is more and more concentrated by the few in Washington. And there's plenty of public opinion polling to back that up. As proof that conservatives across the country want the system cleaned up, think of the reaction to President Trump's campaign mantra, drain the swamp. It resonated. But nearly four years in, it hasn't led to legislation that would change the way business is conducted in Washington. I've been critical of my own party on this. I think part of Trump's appeal in 2016 was on this promise to drain the swamp. I mean, I remember when he came to Green Bay and talked about we're going to do, you know, restrictions on lobbying for former members of Congress. We're going to do term limits. We're going to do X, Y, Z. And I remember meeting with the president with a bipartisan group in the White House to get his support for term limits. He tweeted support for it. But I think the drain the swamp agenda has really stalled. And I, I think just as a political matter, it would be wise for the president to revive it. And I, I just think these issues appeal to a very wide range of voters. And I certainly have seen in my own district that whenever I do something like write an op-ed with, you know, my progressive colleague, Ro Khanna, on drain the swamp issues, people really respond to that. I think there's just a, a shared sense on the left and the right that politics as usual isn't working well for anybody. And it's only a matter of time before the American people demand real reform. And it's incumbent upon leaders in office to make sure that energy is channeled in a productive direction. The way Gallagher frames the issue is supported not just by polling, but by my experience living in Tennessee. At a state level, there's already significant bipartisan reform afoot. John Pudner is a longtime conservative activist who runs Take Back Our Republic, which is a right-leaning political reform organization based in Auburn, Alabama, that focuses much of its effort on solutions at the state level across the country. I think the fact that we live in a republic, and I'll say democratic republic to kind of <laughs> split it on that, but uh, it relies on elected officials representing the interest of their people in the district. And once you build up such a big entity around D.C. and they start to become beholden to any kind of special interest around D.C., 
uh, whether that be left or right, you lose your form of representative government. You really do go to an oligarchy. And at that point, the republic doesn't function. What's unique about Pudner's work is that it keeps him connected to grassroots conservative activists in far-flung parts of the country. These people are supporting reforms of different types because conservatism and political reform fit hand in glove, even if Republicans in Washington have grown resistant. We're 5-0 and in, in uh, referenda, uh, which is nice. I'm, I shouldn't say that. We've been part of referendas, five winning referendas with no losses so far. And that's been reaching out to conservatives on elective issues such as not letting someone do away with an elected school board, which would have been for control of pensions, really. Gerrymandering reform, money in politics reform, particularly in the Dakotas, where you, know, you could basically buy a legislator a car while you're bidding on a road project, which we pointed out. I mean, just, you know, undisclosed and not against the law. Let's remember what conservatism is all about. We believe in conserving the founder's vision for America. And as the world changes, that requires creativity and good policy in order to protect the dream of the Declaration, the checks and balances of the Constitution, and the rights guaranteed in the Bill of Rights. The most profound part of that vision are the rights of individuals, rights that come not from a government, but from a creator. All men are created equal. Those words echo through suffrage and the civil rights movement, and they represent a radical shift in the relationship between government and the governed. And as I've shared before, what draws me to political reform is that I believe it is the work of forming a more perfect union and fighting for the rights of those who don't always have a voice. That, to me, is deeply conservative, even if it's not very Republican in the current environment. Call me old school, but the limited role of the federal government wasn't just an arcane argument made by our founders. They cared about power remaining close to the people. So, to Congressman Gallagher's point, when government is dysfunctional, it grows. Where there's a lack of transparency, there's a lack of accountability, leading also to a growth of government in so many cases. Nomini Rubin runs Fix the System, which is a project at Issue 1, and she's a veteran of the Bush White House, working in international finance. She makes a similar case based on what she's seen around the world. I come from an international perspective. My entire career was really focusing on U.S. foreign policy and international development. And what we saw around the world was the importance of the rule of law, access to capital, and market-based solutions in order to have societies grow and develop. And when you think about it, what's the most fundamental thing there? Like, what's the, the underlying framework for growth? It's a strong and healthy democracy. So to me, it's completely linked that we have to work on our democracy. We have to strengthen it in order to have economic growth and, and a sustainable system. A functional and trustworthy political system is a prerequisite to tackling bigger problems. For many on the political right and left, political reform represents an opportunity to make fair rules of the game that ultimately benefit everyone from all perspectives. How can climate change advocates make headway if Congress is bought off by fossil fuel lobbyists? How can healthcare costs be lowered if pharmaceutical companies have a stranglehold on policymaking? And how can fiscal conservatives make headway on the national debt if there isn't transparency in government spending and campaign spending? so that we know who is giving what and expecting what. Gerrymandering is another example. Both parties do it, 
and it's voters who ultimately lose out. I started caring about gerrymandering when my husband ran for Congress in Maryland. He's a Democrat, and we had to tote our three kids all around the state. And my kids were like, why are we practically in Pennsylvania when we live near D.C.? And I was like, oh, well, I'll get you a coloring book, and you can kind of see the shapes of our, of our state. And there wasn't one. So my, my middle daughter and I, uh, she was nine at the time, made a coloring book called The United Shapes of America. So every page is a state, and you can color in the congressional districts. And even a child in elementary school can tell you what states are gerrymandered. It's really disturbing because you realize it's politicians choosing their voters rather than the other way around. And it's just not fair. Like any child can tell you the way the lines are drawn, it's just not fair. And it's distorting what kind of comes out of Congress, and it's distorting what's happening within our parties. It's leading to extremism on both sides. So I think gerrymandering is a really important issue because it's structural. And when we fix gerrymandering, you actually fix a huge range of other issues that we're all contending with, where people in Congress aren't getting along they're not focusing constructively on issues, and they're pandering to the far <laughs> reaches of, of their parties rather than the core voters in their districts. I call myself a child of the political reform movement because as a young boy, my father ran against a longtime incumbent congresswoman who was raising the vast majority of her campaign money from PACs, not individuals. And so when he got to Congress, he kept the promises he'd made to voters back home and he continued to fight for reforms to our political system. His most notable moment as a reformer came as an ally of Senator John McCain's on the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, which is now best known as McCain-Feingold. Senator McCain in many ways embodied the conservative case for reform. He passionately fought for a level playing field. And like few politicians in modern America, he was known for putting country over party. He did that when he led the passage of the only major campaign finance reform in a generation back in 2002. But I'd also like to point out that what we've really done is for a couple of hundred million Americans is to give them the opportunity to be heard again here in our nation's capital as we pass laws and policies and rules and regulation that affect their daily lives. They've been rendered silent by the influence of the big money that we all know about, which has been authenticated time after time, and a, and a record that in recent years has been marred by scandals, which make many of us ashamed and embarrassed. In my conversation with Congressman Gallagher, himself a former Marine intelligence officer who twice deployed to the Al-Ambar province in Iraq, he drew a line between the patriotism of Senator McCain and his interest in reform work. I think John McCain really, even where he disagreed with him, there was no question that he was animated primarily by his patriotism and his love of this country. And I think that's kind of the, the foundation of everything we talk, we should talk about in the political reform uh, movement. It, it's, you know, we may be progressives and Republicans. We may be ideologically divided. We may disagree, but we are committed in our love for this country and our constant striving to make it a more perfect union. And I think McCain was a real inspiration in that regard. We'll be right back. If you like what you've heard in this podcast, then you need to read The Fulcrum. It's the only news organization dedicated exclusively 
to covering the fight for democracy across the country, from gerrymandering and money in politics to voting rights, election security, and everything in between. Read their stories and sign up for their newsletter at fulcrum.us. All right, let's get back to it. In many ways, it's fitting that military veterans like Senator McCain and Congressman Mike Gallagher would be among the conservative leaders who looked beyond the politics of the moment to promote reforms that will strengthen our elections and our institutions. I spoke with Luke Kennedy, who is the Senior Director of Communications at the McCain Institute, and he agreed. The legacy of Senator John McCain is about far more than partisan politics. We really pride ourselves on carrying forward the sort of things that Senator McCain stood for, and, and that was opportunity, human dignity, and, and really, you know, things that you kind of think of looking out for uh, the little guy or looking out for someone uh, who is oppressed. And yeah, I think you're right, moneyed interest or uh, less than than uh, fair playing field, uh, you know, certainly connects to that. As we reflect on conservatism and political reform, and we hearken back to the days when Senator McCain worked with George W. Bush to get major reforms signed into law, it's worth noting that six years later, McCain went on to be the Republican nominee for president. Can conservatives lead on political reform? Absolutely. In fact, going all the way back to Teddy Roosevelt and then John McCain 100 years later, our party has elevated political reformers all the way to the presidential ticket. But it requires a deeper commitment to what is good for the country. It requires men and women on my side to look past politics and who might benefit to do the right thing for the long-term good of the country. In fact, back in 2002, when McCain-Feingold, which was known as Shays Meehan in the House, was being debated hotly on the House floor. My dad spoke to his Republican colleagues about the politics of reform in a way that resonates 18 years later. But I've never been able to measure whether reform would help one party or hurt the other party. And at different times, I felt that maybe one had an advantage or not an advantage. And I don't know how this will end up in terms of who gains the advantage, but I truly believe that this measure will strengthen the two-party system. Now, the two-party system he was talking about has seen better days, admittedly. But the point is, all ships rise if the rules are fair. Reform is a matter of principle, not a matter of politics. The country has been well-served by passionate debates of a predominant two-party system. One aspect of it is being able to work with folks, right? So we often talk about how McCain, and he's not alone, but one gleaming example of someone who fiercely fought for his principles and what he stood for and, and, and wasn't one to, you know, give easily on those, but still was able to reach across and, and work with folks. You know, I think of that speech he gave near the end of his life about how we need to get back to regular order. Well, we know what we're living right now is not regular and probably ain't going to return anything like regular anytime soon. But I think that still holds regular order where you can really air it out, figure out what the other uh, side is or where you can get somewhere and, and get there and realize you can do that in a way that doesn't sacrifice your principles, you know, whether you're on the right or the left. So what does the future hold? How do we get back to regular order, so to speak? How do we get back to 2002 when prominent liberals and prominent conservatives found agreement that the system needed fixing for all of our good? 
Congressman Gallagher is optimistic that there may be an opportunity ahead. I will admit campaign finance is a ridiculously tricky topic. And so I think wisdom probably lies in small steps that can help us go in the right direction. Reforms that range from changing the congressional calendar to prohibiting members from fundraising while they're in Washington or just, you know, on the super PAC side, uh, requiring full transparency so that people know who paid for the ads or if nothing else, something along the lines of the Honest Ads Act, which applies the same disclosure requirements to online ads as those that exist for television ads. But I do think given now that conservatives are realizing that Democratic super PACs are spending more money, I think, in this election than conservative super PACs and Democratic super PACs are in some cases messing in conservative primaries. They're realizing how ridiculous this problem has gotten. And so I actually think we're closer to a potential grand bargain on this issue. I think we all can find hope in Congressman Gallagher's words. And to my Republican friends, let's focus on the conservative case for reform. Let's work with the other party, and let's get this done. On the next episode of Swamp Stories, we're literally going to tell some swamp stories as we speak with former members of Congress about their worst days in Washington and why they're fighting for reform today. Thanks for listening to Swamp Stories, presented by Issue One, the country's leading political reform organization that unites Republicans, Democrats, and independents to fix our broken political system. Please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. Even better, rate and review it on iTunes to help us reach more listeners. You can find out more at swampstories.org. I'm your host, Weston Wong. A special thank you to executive producer Ethan Rome, producers Evan Ottenfield and Sidney Richards, and editor Parker Tant from parkerpodcasting.com. Swamp Stories was recorded in Tennessee, edited in Texas, and can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.